Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 17. I've got to tell you, I've been waiting since we first started the book of Acts to talk about Acts chapter 17. In fact, the whole reason I wanted to do the book of Acts was because of chapter 17. I've just been stalling until then, until to get to this chapter. This chapter has captivated my life. It has impacted the way I think about communicating with people. It has been something I have looked at, and in my Bibles, the ones that I've used in studying, I have all kinds of notes that I just put on top of each other. Every time I go into it, it's like, oh, wow, look at that, look at this. Things that just really capture me and my attention and provoke me to think in ways that I'm not used to thinking. I mean, not thinking, period, but, you know, to think differently. And it's really a powerful thing. In fact, there are people who say that Paul failed here in Athens, that his ministry was wrong. That's how difficult this passage of trip passage of Scripture is for some people. It is so hard to wrap our minds around that sometimes people say, no, Paul was just wrong there, which I think is a little dangerous to say that Paul was wrong in how he did something. But we're going to look at and see why. We're starting at verse 16. I'm going to read to the end of the chapter, and then we're going to talk about some things. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens... He was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now, what you worship as something unknown I am going to proclaim to you the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this 
so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. A few became followers of Paul and believed. Among them were Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. We see here first that Paul was distressed. Verse 16, it talks about he was greatly distressed. Something bugged him. As he went to this place, he was just moved to do something, which is an important thing that we are moved when we see things that aren't right. As he looked around and he saw the place given to idolatry, it moved him. It made him want to do something. And so he went to the synagogue, as was his custom. That's a place where he had something in common with these people. And then we see that he was in the marketplace. And as he was talking in the marketplace with people, some people got word and wind of what he was talking about. And they said, this babbler. Now, I don't know why, but when I hear that they say Paul was a babbler, it makes me feel good, you know, because sometimes you just, you know, you get through something and you just feel like you're babbling. You know, people are like, what were you trying to say anyway? And, you know, I take comfort that at least it was true. You know, it just, I, I talk and sometimes you wonder, is it really connecting with these people? And it's interesting because as he was there, it said that he's presenting to us foreign gods. Have you ever gone to another country and people say you talk with an accent? And you're thinking, what are you talking about? You're all the ones with accents. When we go to Wales, you know, they have these beautiful Welsh accents. And they say, oh, I love your English accent. And it's like, no, we don't have no accent. <laughs> it's you guys. This whole country's got an accent. We're the only ones who don't. All 15 of us. Paul went to this place and they thought that what he said was foreign. What you're saying doesn't make sense to us. It's like babbling. This talk about the resurrection and this person of Jesus, it doesn't click with us. We don't understand it. And sometimes I think we lose the ability to communicate and connect the authentic things that are going to change a person's life. We have this inability to connect with people in a way that they understand. And what we usually do is say, oh, they're closed. They're closed to the gospel. I've heard that say, said in Wales. Oh, the Welsh people, they're closed to the gospel. Or Spain is closed. It's, it's the, the graveyard of missionaries. Or all of Europe is closed. Amazing. 
all of Europe is just closed. This, how did that happen? Well, I know one time when we went to Wells, about 15 people came to faith in Christ. I guess that was by accident. I don't know, because they're all closed. And you see, what happens is when we have a difficult time communicating, we blame them. Instead of thinking, maybe what I'm saying isn't registering to them and isn't making sense. Maybe what I'm saying sounds like babbling. Maybe I'm the one who's talking about something foreign. And instead of dealing with how I'm communicating, I just blame it on them. They're closed. Well, maybe you're not clear in a way that they understand. And we keep having conversations with our, ourselves. We, we use language that no one else understands, and then we blame them if they're outside of us. You go to talk to someone, and you say, well, you know, I'm washed in the blood, and they just think, that's sick. What does that mean? Well, in our language, we have meaning and understanding of what that is, but how do we communicate what that means? Even people growing up, they hear, you know, Jesus died for your sins, and they're thinking, well, what my sins conclude of, you know, I, I took some pencils at school one day. Jesus died for that? Isn't that extreme? And in their minds, they're not putting together what the message is. They're only hearing certain things, and it doesn't click with them because there's this big gap between what we're saying, the meaning, and how it applies to their lives. Even kids who are growing up in church. You know, Jesus had to die for your sins. What did I do wrong? You know, seven-year-old, I took some cookies. Oh, my gosh, it's that bad? Taking cookies will put someone to death for me? And there has to be a connection between what we're saying and what they're hearing and how it applies to their life. Otherwise, it's almost like babbling. And so people grow up in church and they say, it doesn't relate to me. I, I don't need that because it doesn't connect to my life. And a lot of times what's happening is we are not communicating accurately what needs to be said in a way that connects with that individual, we've kind of blanketed the whole message and said this is what it means for everyone. I know I shared once before that I was dialoguing with someone and they said, well, I basically see four different categories. There's the people who believe, there's the people who think they believe, in the, and they went on and enumerated their categories of what they believed and they asked what I thought. And I said, I think there are 600 billion categories. I think that God deals with every person specifically and individually. In fact, that's what Paul says later on in this passage, that he has placed people where they would be born just for that opportunity that they might reach out for him. And so instead of saying this is how it works for everybody, God wants to deal with everybody, even people who see us and what we say as foreign as strange, as something that they don't understand. And, and Paul is going into a whole new situation here. I mean, he's used to talking to the synagogues. We know in, in chapter 14, I believe it was, and that area he dealt with people who were only <clears throat> Greeks because they wanted to worship him and Barnabas. And he dealt with them in a unique way as well as he does here. But now in verse 24, He's being brought, or verse 22, he's actually being brought to the spotlight. 
In verse 22, it says, Then Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus, this place where they all gathered together, and they just thought of different things to talk about. That's what they did. Let's hear this. And they bring him to the spotlight. And Paul is turning his mind inside out right now because all the things that he has known and how he has done things, they thought those things were babbling. And now he's brought into this place and he's got to communicate. And he is just going to do some things that are unique and that he's never done before. And in verse 22, he says, Paul stood at the meeting place of the Areopagus. Men of Athens, I see in every way you are very religious, for I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship. I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. Paul does something here that even theologians think is heretical. He did not start with the Bible. In fact, he's going to start with their Bible. He's going to start with what they believe and what they understand and bring them in to clarity of what we believe. And this is something that challenges us because what he is saying to them is that God is working in you. You are in God's story, but you don't know it. To you, it's unknown. What you worship and you don't know what it is, I want to tell you what it really is. And so what Paul does is says, God is at work in you. And I'm going to show you how. And you see, that is unique for us. Because you probably have heard like I have, unless you come to faith in Jesus Christ, then you cannot have a relationship with God. Unless you accept the Lord Jesus then you can come, and then you can hear about God. And Paul is saying, God is at work already in you. And instead of it being uh, us and them, God is saying, it's all of us. And God is at work in you, where you're at in your culture, just like he was with the Hebrew people in their culture. And what he's going to do is show them in their own beliefs where God shows up so that he can pull them in to a clear understanding of who God really is. He goes on and he says, verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temple built by hands and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives life to who? To all men and breath, and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And then Paul quotes their own writings. 
and applies them to the truth of who God is. He says, your own poets have been screaming out the truth of who God is. They've been telling the story, but you didn't understand it. God has reached out to all men and placed them exactly where they should live so that they might reach out and find him. It was interesting when we went to Wales one of these times, I think four years ago, we went and we took a, a group with us and there was one of the, the gals, Colleen's daughter, uh, Krista, went with us. And it was kind of a last minute thing. Someone had dropped out and she was able to, to get into this spot and she went there. And as she was walking and talking to people, she met this guy, I forget his name, but she ran into this guy who was handing, handing out papers. He had had a, a drug problem and this was part of their rehabilitation. As they put them to work, they gave them jobs handing out different things. And so she started talking to this guy. And as she was talking to him, she found out that her story and his story were very similar as far as their upbringing was concerned. And she was like amazed and he was like blown away. And she's like, yeah, I came from California by chance to this trip here to Wales. And I end up talking to you who's going through the exact same thing that I went through growing up. And she was able to share the Lord with him and bring him to an understanding of who Christ is. Now, this guy had a better chance of hearing the gospel being born in Wales than being born in California somewhere. Apparently. Because God took Krista, flew her all the way to Wales to talk to this guy about the gospel and share with him in a way that he understood because she lived that upbringing just like he did. And God places people in the places where they can best hear the gospel. Even these people at Athens, filled with their idolatry, in the middle of that, God was trying to speak out to them and give them understanding of who he was. And Paul saw it even in their own writings. Writings about Zeus, a pagan god. And Paul takes it and says, look it, this is God trying to get a hold of your attention. Now you understand why people have a hard time with this passage. Because this is foreign to us. This isn't how we do things. I don't know how long I've heard, we, there's the saints and there's the ain'ts. That's all there is. You know, you're either in or you're out. You know, it's, it's this way. And the idea that, no, God is actually speaking, like it says in Acts 1.8, that the Holy Spirit's job is to convict the world of sin. And he's actually out there doing it. You know, to think that God can actually do something without us sometimes is humbling. No, you need us, God, to tell them the truth. No, it's okay. I've got it. I, I'm working even in their own poets, even in their own philosophy. I am speaking to them. I am at work with them. I, I got Abraham. I brought him out of the Chaldeans. I, I, can, I can deal with these people too. But if you'd like, you can jump on board with what I am doing. And you see, what we tend to do is push people away and say, if you want to get into our group, this is what you need to do. Okay, stand back behind the line. And it's a DMV, you know, to get saved. You got to stand and take a number, and I'll show you what you got to do. You got to repent here. You got to do this. You got to stop doing that, and you got to clean up your act. You got to do these things, and then you can come into our place. One of the guys in Wales, his name is Kay. Oh, I forgot about this. I'm going to skip that. 
you know, it has to do with housework. Uh, this guy, Kay, Kay has his dreads that go down here. The guy just looks like a pothead. Uh, you know, he looks like a ganji man. I mean, uh, <laughs> Kay came to faith in Christ on that trip that we went out there. And when we had left, he, he inlightened skates, and he's incredible. I mean, he, like, jumps 20 feet, you know, all these steps and stuff. Just does insane thing on inline skates. And one day, he skate one day. Uh, there I am talking to Will. Talking to my Will Jackson just jumped in on me. Uh, one day when he was skating in the city center, he's going around skating there, and this guy was preaching. And the guy started blasting Kay for being a pothead, and he better repent and do this. And Kay, at that time, had cleaned up his life. And he goes, why do you make that decision that you know who I am? And this guy started arguing with Kay, saying, well, look at the way you look. Look at the way you dress. You're not a Christian. And here's a guy who just comes to understanding of who God is, who just starts to begin to understand that God loves him like he is and starts to read the Bible. And here comes this guy says, you cannot be a Christian the way you look. And Kay got so upset, he cussed the guy out and left. And it left a, a, just a dark spot in his heart. Because this guy would not understand that God was reaching to Kay where he was at, ministering to him where he was at. And I don't know, I, I was back in the U.S., I was instant messaging Kay one time and he was telling me about this situation and I had to apologize for this man who in the name of Jesus blasted him without knowing him. And you know, sometimes we just have to stop and think, are we babbling? Are we being ineffective because what we're saying is not connecting with someone and where they're at. You know, those pictures I showed before, it, it was when I first moved in my home 19 plus years ago, and we were hanging mirrors and, and things. The only thing that I knew to hang up pictures and stuff were, were toggle hooks. You guys remember those? You know, you got to drill a hole in and then you slam. I mean, there's a big old hole now and this toggle goes in there and you, you know, screw it in now, I can hang the mirror. And so all over our home are these holes, you know, from where we used to hang things up, because that's the only way I knew how to do it. Someone somewhere said, you know what? There's got to be a better way to be able to hang stuff up and not leave holes all over your home. And so they, they've come up with all these amazing things. I went to Lowe's the other day, and I was just tripping out on all the new stuff they have to, that you can hang stuff with. They've got these ooks, they're called. And then they've got these wall biters. And those are like the coolest thing. They look really scary. But you just put them and you hammer in the wall and it sinks into the wall and it can hold 25 pounds. This little hook. Okay, the point. <laughs> Sometimes there's a better way to do what you've been doing. Sometimes there's a better way to communicate 
the truth of who Jesus is than just the same way we've been doing it. Sometimes if you think about things, you can actually see that God is already at work in a person's life. Oh, not that person. This person is given to idolatry. This person smokes pot. This person's a drunk. This person's a heroin addict. This person, list, list whatever it is. You think God's not at work in their life? Why? Where did God reach you? I'm not going to go there. But God did. In the middle of my being lost and not having a clue, God showed up and says, I'm here. And God is still doing that and wants to do that today. But what we need to do is recognize that we have to reach these people where they're at as Paul goes on and he talks about them, you know, he's talking about how God overlooked, verse 30, their ignorance, their idolatry. God, God let that slide. And then he says, but okay, but now he commands people everywhere to repent. But now he's showing you something new. It's like, we got here just in time. You guys were blind in doing this and God's showing you the truth now and he's asking you to, to change your ways. You see, Paul is still bringing the whole point home of what you need to do is recognize who God is and go to him. He's not changing the message, but he's definitely coming about it through the back door. And then he says, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he appointed. He has given proof to this by all men by raising him from the dead. And when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. Now, that's not the reaction we want. You know, how many sneered last Sunday? You know, it's not the kind of thing we want to hear. But some people, they didn't get it. Yeah, I don't know about that. I, I don't know if I'm going to go into that, but it goes on and it says, at that Paul left the council and a few men became followers of Paul and believed. Do you know how sometimes we read the Bible and we don't really hear what it says, but we put in what it says or what we think it's supposed to say because of what we already believe? We probably just did that as I read that last verse. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Who did they become followers of? See, we wanted to say they became followers of Jesus and believed, but it doesn't say that. It says they became followers of Paul and believed. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, I become all things to all men that I might save some. We've heard that scripture, but do, do you hear what it's saying? It doesn't say that Jesus might save some. It says that I might save some. Again, theologians, Paul, you missed it by that much. It's not you who does the saving, Paul. It's God. Paul's probably embarrassed right now. He's in heaven thinking, what did I do? What did I say? No, the truth is, Paul recognized his part just as we see it here. You see, sometimes to get someone to journey with Jesus, they first have to journey with you 
and then see that you are the one following Jesus, and then you're able to connect them to Jesus. They became followers of Paul and believed. They became followers of Paul because that's who was talking to them. That's who they were connecting with. Paul wants to save them, that I might save some. How do you save them? Well, I'm journeying with God, and I'm going to bring them along in my journey so that they can see God as well. And the truth is, you have a responsibility and a part to play. Oh, sure, some water, some plant, and God's the only one who can produce a new life. But are you watering? Are you planting? Are you participating in? Do you realize that you and I are a part of this work? And we can't just say, oh, that's God's job. God saves people. I don't. Well, Paul said that I might save some. Here, they followed Paul. And I don't know how many times I've read this and that didn't click with me. They followed Paul and believed. They became followers of Paul. What would happen if someone would become a follower of you? Who are you journeying with? Who are you representing? Would they then become believers because you are following Jesus and they see that? And among them, Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, and also a woman named Damaris. You know, there are a lot of great churches that are reaching out to Matthew and reaching out to Mary and Martha and Thaddeus and Philip. And they have great apologetics courses for Thomas because he needs it because he doubts a lot. And they have character-building classes for Peter because he cuts people's ears off. And they're happy if their church is growing, reaching Bartholomew and those people. But there are not a lot of people losing sleep over Dionysius or Damaris. There's not a lot of churches that are trying to walk with them. And the minute you start walking with Dionysius or Damaris, people are going to start looking at you funny. You see, because Dionysius, he's named after a pagan god of drunkenness. How'd you like that for a name? And Damaris, well, she's probably a prostitute. And so if they start coming to your church, people are going to start looking at you and go, I don't know about that church. You know, Dionysius goes there. And Damaris. And people will automatically put you in suspect because you are reaching people that they are not. because you're going into places that they will not, because you're doing things that they don't do. And automatically you become suspect, you're told you're compromising, you're watering down the gospel. If you were to give this message that Paul gave to a group of people, most people in evangelical Christianity would say you were watering down the gospel. And here's the guy who is attributed by historians for being the founder of the Christian faith. 
I mean, we think it's Jesus, but historians, you know, will attribute it to Paul. Was he watering down the gospel? Or was he stepping into foreign territory and pointing out, God is here. I want to show him to you. It wasn't, hey, come over here to the synagogue and we'll show you where God's at. It was there at the marketplace. It was there at the Areopagus. It was in the middle of where they talk. He said, God is right here, right now. I heard a story about a man who, Erwin uh, McManus, he's a pastor from Mosaic out in Pasadena, and he was asked to go on a radio show that's an energy radio show, and he does those kinds of things, and he's like, oh, I don't really want to go on an energy, I don't know anything about energy. And so he went to this show, and he, he started talking, and he had a book called Chasing Daylight, and he thought, well, maybe I can use that to kind of talk about energy. And then the the host of the show, who was supposed to be absent, came up there in a couple of minutes and started asking him all these questions about energy. And he's like, oh, man, I don't, you know, um, energy's not my thing, really. So he's given his best shot talking about And then all of a sudden the guy said, you know, here's what everyone wants to know. Erwin, this is what my audience and people want to know everywhere. And he's thinking, oh, my gosh, what's the ultimate energy question? You know, what's that going to be? And he said, is it true that you think you're going to hell. You, or you Christians are going to heaven and everyone else is going to hell. And he's like, oh gosh, that has nothing to do with energy. You know, that, what, are, what are you doing? And he was quiet for a second, but it was live radio and silence. Live radio is not a good thing. And he said, well, let me put it to you this way. And that was kind of his way of stalling while he was thinking. And he said, everything I say is going to be colored by the fact that I believe Jesus is God. I said, okay, that's fair enough. And he said, Jesus said, I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through me would have life. So if God would not, I'm not going to take a job that God himself would not do. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to give you life. The guy said, okay, I'm, I'm good with that. And he's like, you know, dodged a bullet there on national radio. But what happened is he started conversing with this guy. They started internet dating, you know, texting and responding to one another. And pretty soon he was talking to him about Jesus. And this guy sent him this message, you know, everywhere I go, I see Jesus. I look up at a billboard and it says, receive Jesus. I go by and all of a sudden there's a church sign. I turn on the radio and there's someone speaking and it's getting to me. Everywhere I go, it seems that there's Jesus trying to reach me. And so I went to my Buddhist healer, and Erwin goes, oh, no, you know, it was going so well. I went to my Buddhist healer, and I, I told him he was a Jew who was a Buddhist who lived in Long Island, New York. That's his story. And he goes, I go to my Buddhist healer, and I said, you know, I don't know what's going on. Everywhere I look, it seems like Jesus is showing up. I have to have this guy on my radio named Irwin. I've been talking to him. I see signs, and I'm just wondering, what's going on? And the Buddhist healer said, well, it's like this. In Buddhism, the road to enlightenment is long and it's hard, and you may never get there. 
Christianity is like cheating. You come to Jesus and you instantly get enlightenment. And then he went on to say, he goes, you know, I think Jesus is pursuing him, so you might as well receive Jesus. And he became a Christian through a Buddhist healer. Yeah, you're not going to read about that in any manuals. But for some reason, we think it's only through us that God can reach people. And this guy, as he became new in the faith, he started putting Irwin's books on his website. And so Irwin got labeled a new age, you know, energy freak. And he got blasted and he came over and talked to Irwin and he said, you know, hey, I put your books up and he goes, yeah, you've just made me the quickest growing heretic in Christianity. And the guy goes, oh, I'm so sorry because he didn't know Christians can be mean. And Irwin told him, don't worry about it. I'd rather alienate myself from a thousand angry Christians for the privilege of journeying with you to Christ. And Paul reaches out to these people that considered them foreign because he wanted to see them come to Christ. And he went where they were at and he spoke in a way that they understood and he used their own Bible to bring them into a clear understanding of the true and living God. And some began to follow him and believed. You know, what people need to know isn't one more message. What they need to do is have a meaningful relationship with someone who is walking with God. And it's not how to as much as want to. You see, what provoked this was what provoked Paul at the beginning. He was distressed with how the situation was. I need to change things. Have you ever been in a situation with someone's life and you say, we've got to help them? Maybe it's your children. I can't just let this go. I need to help them. And even though I don't want to, even though it's difficult, it's nothing in me that says, oh boy, this is going to be fun. I cannot help doing it because it is a passion in my life. That's what it was with Paul. When he went into this place, everything in him screamed, you've got to do something. It wasn't, God needs to do something here. It was, you have got to do something. And so he did. A lot of times we want to just change people's belief. instead of changing what they care about. You see, you can believe something and not care about it. But you can't care about something and not believe it. And sometimes we just need to focus on the right thing. And instead of getting someone to change their mind, we need to journey with someone so that their heart changes and the things that they care about change. And then what they believe will change. But you see, this is not an easy way. 
hundreds and thousands. We, we think of Pentecost. 3,000 came. Woo! We see here, a couple came. And that's why I say, say, oh, Paul failed. I say this is one of Paul's highlights. Because he took the gospel where it had never been. And he started with a few people. And it ended up changing the world. One of the things we need to convey is that we are not afraid to step into someone's life. You see, I don't want to be afraid of what's going on in your life. If I'm going to help you, I need to be able to hear and, and not be afraid of what you're dealing with, of questions you might have. I'm not afraid of your pain or your questions. I want a journey with you. You can ask me. I might not have the answer, but I'm not afraid. The hurts I've been through, I want to hear them. I'm not afraid. The things that are, are aggravating you, the questions, the anger, whatever it is, I, I'm not afraid of what's going on in your life. I want to journey with you. I care. That's the point. I care. I care enough to step where you are, to walk with you where you are. I care enough to hang out with you, even though people look at me funny. I care enough to be called your friend, even though I might get blacklisted on some website. I care enough to associate with you, even though you're named after a pagan drunken god. I care enough about you to stand by you and say, come, journey with me. With the hopes that maybe you'll follow me as I follow Jesus. And I'll become all things to all men that I might save some. What motivates you? Sometimes what I think needs to happen is instead of us changing what we do, we need to first change our hearts and what we care about and what moves us. And that's a harder thing to do. It, it's easy to, to do things, but it's hard to change who we are. The psalmist said, create in me a clean heart, O God. One of the things we had on the message board before is Socrates says, I pray thee, O God, that I would be beautiful within. Do you see that Socrates was crying out the same prayer that David did? That Socrates desired What David did, do you think maybe God was working in him just like God worked with, with David? If only someone could take and show him. Here, walk with me. I'll show you that it is God working within you. And so for our hearts to change, what do we need to do? You know what? We need to repent. And we need to pray. Next Sunday is Easter. What does Easter mean to most people? Eggs, chocolate bunnies, tamales, ham, depends on which side of the family you go to. <laughs> Foreign. That's what Easter means to me. We say, well, Easter is about the resurrection. 
resurrection. How does that matter to me? People will sneer just like they did Paul. But it's an opportunity to bring into focus who Jesus is. Next week is Easter. A lot of people will come to church because it's the holiday. We've got the ads in the paper. We've got the door hangers. We've got the little flyers. I would never go anywhere if I got this. As beautiful as it is, if this landed in my lap, I'd say, huh, and I'd put it away. But if a friend of mine came up to me and said, hey, can you go with me? Not just show up, hey, will you go? I'll go pick you up, get you some coffee. Well, already I'd be there. Yeah. Coffee? Okay. What's next? More coffee? You see, it's that connection that motivates people. But do we want to connect? Do we want to engage people? Do we want to bring them? Because that's what needs to change. It's our hearts that really want to connect with people and journey with them and say, I'm not afraid of what you're going through. But I'm going through a divorce. But I've got problems with finances. But I've got a serious drug addiction. I, I've got these things going on in my life. I don't care. I love you. I'm going to step into it. I'm not afraid. Let's talk. Let's go. Come with me. Because they might not follow Jesus, but they might follow you. And if you're walking with Jesus, then they will see him. To get our hearts to change, we need to pray. Tomorrow night, we're going to be praying. 7 o'clock. Do you want your heart to change? Do you want to connect with the God who cares about these people so that that care becomes yours? I hope so. I hope so. And so if that is the case, how great it would be if everyone here was at the prayer meeting and freaked Beth out. <laughs> that would be worth it alone. <laughs> Actually, I know she would be overjoyed. But you're invited to pray. What, that God would reach people? No, that our hearts would change and that we would reach people. Don't just throw it off. God, reach people. God, help me to reach people. That people might become followers of Danny, Melissa, Mario, Eileen, Randy, Vanessa, Larry. Sorry if I didn't mention your name. Don't take it personally. That God would be magnified so much in our lives that people would become followers of us and that we could then show them the truth of who Jesus is. Let's pray. God, I have such a hard time with these issues because they're so strong in my heart and yet I don't want to be unclear so sometimes maybe I talk more than I should or go longer than I need to. But Lord, I know this is something that has motivated me and has changed me. And 
I pray, Lord, that you would put within my heart the desire to care, to care enough to, to reach out to someone and to love them, not just to put a notch on my belt and say that I witnessed, but to actually involve myself with someone's life that I might journey with them. And Lord, to not care about what others think, but to care about what you think, to be concerned with the things that you're concerned with. And Lord, I, I pray for us as a community of believers who, who have faith in you. Lord, may you change our hearts. May we be distressed when we see how things are around us when we see the, the, the junk that people are involved with and how it's just tearing their lives up. May we be distressed. May it move us to step into their lives and, and to step into that uncomfortable place and help us not to come across as babblers. Help us to connect with them and see where it is you are at work within them and to meet them there, that perhaps they might follow us to you. Lord, may we become all things to all people that we may win some. Lord, you have given us this opportunity. And even with Easter coming next week, Lord, I pray that we would win some. God, change our hearts. And I pray even tomorrow night, Lord, that we would be able to come before you and open up and say, God, I don't care like I should. Help me to care. Change my heart. Thank you, God, for the revelation of who you are in the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, we know the need for salvation for these people around us. We know that it comes only through your Son. Lord, help us to bring them to you. And not just an idea of what you mean, but to the living God made flesh. Lord, you are our only hope. Thank you for, again, this time. I pray your Spirit would bring clarity to everything I've said. And I ask it in Jesus' name.